0: Good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. I hope that as we've worshipped together that you have known something of the help of God in your soul even already, breathing life into us, hearing his word read and singing his truth together. Our team has worked hard to bring another service of live stream for us this particular Sunday, but our hearts are grieved, continue to be grieved that we cannot see you in person. Uh, We miss seeing you we miss being able to say hello to you we miss knowing something of the condition of your life and your soul even by the the simple uh, pleasantry of saying hello to one another on sunday and particularly uh, not just with us but with one another uh, and your care for one another as we meet and gather together on the lord's day lord help us lord be with us as we uh, continue through this series in the book of james and we'll be considering these verses in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, and then continuing on next week uh, on the subject of prayer in verses 16 through 18. The focus of this particular text is a God dependency, a God dependency. In other words, in all of the circumstances of life and all of the seasons of life, James is directing these people, directing us to the Lord. All of those different circumstances in which we live. Verses 13 through 15 have three commands. That addressed three different seasons of the soul. There may be one that is of unique curiosity and interest to us—the one about calling for the elders—but it is just one of three that James addresses in short order. Order in this text, all of them equally finding their path to God, and, and that's the point: if finding the path to God in all of the different seasons of life and finding sufficiency. In God in all of those seasons. So here's what I think the main point of the text is that I would like you to be able to take home with you today. It has to do with steadfastness. God dependency brings a steadfastness and in the context in chapter 5 verse 11 it speaks of a steadfast heart and the steadfastness of Job and this text is steadfastness lived out. This is what steadfastness looks like. It is a God dependency in every season in every season and in every circumstance of life note first of all that steadfastness does not look the same in all of the seasons of life and in all of our circumstances as a christian community that's one of our one of the dangers that we have is to take on a particular kind of affectation an affectation or, a, or a, a pretense of this is what we think we're supposed to look like. this is how we think we're supposed to feel all of the time and, and then pretending when we don't feel that way, or pretending when we, when we don't feel like looking that way and, and when we, and the way that we look isn't the real condition of our soul. and that is a danger that we have as as A Christian community of some particular idea of way of speaking, a way of praying, a way of looking that seems to be the most spiritual. And James so addresses all different kinds of circumstances and seasons of life, all of which are an expression of dependency or ways in which we express our dependency upon God. And so sometimes if we are distressed, we, we try not to show it. If we're happy, we think we're, we're in the zone where we're supposed to be. Or if we're ill or weary, in fact, so ill and so weary that we're perhaps even unable to pray for ourselves, that, that there's a, a kind of embarrassment that goes along with it, a kind of shame that should not be there. God dependency is not a stoic affectation. A God dependency and this steadfastness of heart is is sometimes in a condition of distress. That is what steadfastness looks like. It you're not outside of the realm of steadfastness because you're distressed. But James has a word for you. Distress or uh, steadfastness looks like singing sometimes, a cheerfulness, a, a buoyancy of the soul. But but James also has a word for us when we are cheerful, when we are. And sometimes steadfastness looks like weakness and seasons of tremendous incapacity. From all of those places, James directs us to God. That's the point. All of those places, James directs us to God. Each season has a unique way in which we must use prayer to submit to God. This is what prayer is. Prayer is the path, a path of submission to God in suffering, in prosperity, and in illness and weariness. All three of those, of those life circumstances, James calls upon the church to, to submit to God. And prayer is mentioned in all of the verses, almost between verses 13 through 18. Prayer is the instrument by which we submit to God in all of those different circumstances and seasons of life. But remember that we don't trust in prayer. We use prayer. We exercise prayer. We use prayer to lay hold of what we do trust in, which is the God who hears prayer. John Calvin said this, Prayer does not change anything. Prayer reaches God And God changes everything. The reason that James can direct us to steadfastness in all of these seasons of life is because there is a sufficiency of God that is to be uniquely experienced in a profound way that's different in all of the seasons of life that God brings into our path. When we are suffering, when we are distressed, We pray and we use prayer to lay hold and we experience something of God's almightiness in a profound and unique way in that season of distress. And we we need to experience God in that way. We need to call out to him in a way that we never have before. When our soul is buoyed and when we experience uh, pleasant things from the Lord, we need to experience God's kindness and God's goodness in the unique way that God intends for us in that season of life and sometimes when we are are so weak when we are weary that we cannot even pray for ourselves and the word that james uses for sickness in verse 14 is a word that can describe a physical illness where we need to be physically raised up for example in acts chapter 9 peter raises up dorcas who has becomes sick or ill and dies and peter raises her up but it also is a word that can be used for a weariness of the soul an incapacity that is from a weariness of soul that is that's described in 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul describes his weariness of soul from the thorn that is in his flesh. And it is in that season that we experience God also in a unique way, using prayer to lay hold of God, even if it is the prayer of others for us, seeing God in the unique unique way that those circumstances allow. And that is God's faithfulness and his unmerited mercy when God raises us up. This is a significant thing in the life of the church. All these different seasons of life and finding a path to God and experiencing in God the sufficiency that he has in all of these conditions and seasons of life and our distress and our joyfulness and our weakness and incapacities. That God isn't as we imagine him. He is as he is. He is as he declares himself to be. And these three seasons have a unique way of us grasping and worshiping God. The seasons of life are like moving from room to room in the temple of God. And the the psalmist speaks of, of the fullness of God's house. You ever been in a house that maybe could seat 50 for dinner, but had a kitchen the size of an apartment? There was an incongruency between the capacity of the different rooms. Well, God's house isn't like that. Every room that we go into, all of the attributes of God that we experience in these different seasons, each are full. It's how we describe, why we describe God as being holy. All of his attributes are attributes of perfection. In God's house, in God's temple, we... We find each of the room filled with a kind of sufficiency that meets our need and glorifies him when we worship him in that particular way. You see, God has just one face, of course, but sometimes we see that face from different angles. Sometimes he shows himself to us in a different way. If you live in Parksville here, we have a beautiful view of a mountain called Aerosmith. And I've only lived here a few years, but I've come to know the, the shape of it and the beauty of it. I was looking at it this morning at the front door of the church here. And we become familiar with what it looks like if you travel around the mountain to Port Alberni. You look at the same mountain from a completely different perspective. And you say, well, that's not the same mountain, but it is. And some Christians only look at God only ever in one way. And so James is, is explaining and showing how God uses the different seasons of life to have us experience the sufficiency of God in different ways. And it is a significant thing for the people of God and for the church. Verse 13 says, Is anyone of you suffering? Let him pretend that all is well. That's what he says. No, it isn't what he says at all. He says, No, let him pray. The suffering could be some kind of a material or a physical circumstance which causes suffering, or it could be a spiritual kind of suffering, that kind of suffering that comes from an affliction, sometimes at a particular sin that can. Bring upon us. In fact, all three of the circumstances that James describes both have those two components. It could be a, a physical circumstances that give us joy, or it could be spiritual experiences that give us great joy and buoyancy, or it could be a physical circumstances of illness and weakness in our body, facing uh, perhaps mortal illnesses, or it could be a spiritual melancholy that Paul is describing in verse 15, from which we need to be raised up. There is a very particular urgency and intensity, though, that comes to the soul that is suffering, where, where James says, are you any of you suffering or in a, in a condition, in a place of distress? Let them pray, and there is a kind of urgency and intensity of the soul that comes along with those prayers. The psalmist says, with my voice I cry out to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. Consider the mercy of God that brings us into a circumstance and season of life that makes us pray that way. To call upon the Lord with a, with a kind of urgency and a kind of intensity that we don't always have. That is a mercy of God for those circumstances that makes us pray in that particular kind of way. And it's not an affectation. It's not fake. The body of Christ needs this kind of prayer. It not only needs to pray these kinds of prayer, it needs to hear these kinds of prayer from other people. I recall years ago, as a father with a young family, I'd, I'd been in the pastorate for about 10 years and had been out of the pastorate for a couple of years, thinking never to return. I was working as a truck driver in Alberta for a number of years in the oil patch. I'd recently moved back to Vancouver to continue work as a as a truck driver, and we attended to attend a small church on the east side of Vancouver. But my soul was in a condition of, of distress, and it needed encouragement, and it needed help. And we attended a, a Sunday school hour there at the church, and I discovered that while they were teaching at different levels, there was a group of the elders that would gather in the office simply to pray. And I asked if I could please join them. And I, I week after week, I would go into that room with those men, and, woman. and I would simply listen to them pray. And as I heard them call out to God, as I heard that some of them were in distress, some of them, some of them were buoyant, some of them were too weak to pray, even in, in that room. And as I, as I listened to them pray, God breathed life into me. You know what it's like to, to come and gather with the body of Christ and have, have someone that is near you cry out in distress, to in upon the Lord and with, without an affectation, of praying well I'm in distress but this is how I pray Lord I know that that everything is in your your control and and yes that's very very true but it's not how you feel your soul is distressed the truth is that you can't see that God is in control and you need to call out to him you need to cry out to the Lord and you need to know that the body of Christ needs that kind of prayer it affects the it Think of the Pharisee and the tax collector who both came to pray, and the Pharisee had a very flowery affectation, a prayer of affectation, a prayer that didn't reflect the real condition. I guess it did uh, reflect the real condition of his soul, which was pride. And the tax collector, who would beside him, who would was crying out uh, to the Lord, a soul that was in distress, crying out for mercy. And it makes me wonder sometimes how. Much better off the Pharisee would have been to just shut up and listen to the tax collector as he prayed in his distress of soul, crying out to the Lord for mercy. James says, is any one of you cheerful? Is any one of you cheerful? Well, let him skip church until he has a real reason to go there, a real need to go there. No, that's not what he says. The cheerful also have a need, which is interesting. James directs a word of exhortation to the cheerful. And it's, you know, God, thank the Lord for those seasons of the soul where for whatever reason uh, the, the, the clouds have parted and we know something of the, of the face of God in a way that, that cheers us. But James has a word of exhortation. To them, why does a cheerful person need to be commanded to sing? James identifies in the soul that appears to have everything that to have all of their needs met. In that person, he identifies a need, and the need is to sing. He doesn't sing. He doesn't say sing if you have a lovely voice. The command is is not based on something or the condition of the, of the vocal chords, the command is based on a necessity of the soul. And the command is to sing. I found these words by Sinclair Ferguson very helpful to help me answer that question. Why, why does James address a need in the person who seems to have their needs met? And he says to sing. He's, and this is what he says. He says, singing praise for our blessings Saves us from a kind of idolatry in which we take the gift of God, but forget the giver. Singing is, I think, the most often repeated command in all of the Bible. Singing is a choice. Singing is a a deliberate and intentional discipline of the soul. I put it this way. Singing is an armament, God's armament, God's armor for us against a spiritual complacency when our circumstances are favorable are you cheerful well you need to sing and that is why we sing together that is why when we even we do a do a live stream like this we intentionally include a component of singing we need to sing together for some of you you needed to hear the 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 scriptures that were read that was your greatest need and for some of you to have the scriptures open, but some of you, your greatest need this morning simply was to sing, to declare the goodness of God, and it is something that God commands us to do. I enjoyed, I I grew up watching the Looney Tunes, and one of my favorite characters was a, a rooster named Foghorn Leghorn, and one of the things I've brought from my childhood is a quote from Leghorn, who always say to his young protege, your your lips are flapping, son, but there's nothing coming out. That's how some Christians sing. (laughs) Your lips are flapping, but there's nothing coming out. And so it is something that, that Christians do uniquely, deliberately, intentionally, with conviction as a command that we need to sing because it meets a very, very real need of our soul. And just as the distressed soul, the suffering soul has a great need to lay hold of and worship God for his powerful power. The cheerful soul has need to acknowledge God for his goodness. And now we come to the third condition, where the weak and the weary soul needs to call for help. Verse 14 says this, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of of the Lord and the prayer of the faith. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. The point of this admonition is not to institute a ritual, not to institute a sacrament. Our Lord never spoke of such a thing that was to be done after his ascension. The apostles never established this as a, particular kind of necessity such as baptism and the Lord's table is but James does normalize something in the life and body of the church something in the everyday living of the church that there be a presence of elders that are available and able have the capacity to pray for those who do not have the capacity. It is not a technique to guarantee a particular outcome. The point is a God who is so merciful and so gracious that that God reaches down. The psalmist often describes this as saying, Oh Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Reach down. Have you ever been there? That is so incapacitated. And so dependent upon the mercy of God and his graciousness that he, that he reaches down and he raises us up. Those who are too weak, either in body or soul, either through illness or through melancholy, to pray for themselves. The word that, the, that James uses in verse 15 for sick, for the sick person is a different word. He, he switches the word up in verse 15 to say that the, when the sick person will be raised up, it, it's used exclusively of the soul that is weary. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 3 speaks of, Consider our Lord who endured much hostility from sinners, that you not grow weary or faint-hearted. When should we call for the elders? How would we know it? the particular season in our life has come, that James says, are you sick? Call for the elders. I think the most important clue that we find in the text is that when we are prayerless. When we are so weak, when we are so incapacitated that we are, we are unable to pray for ourselves, that, that is something that is experienced both in a, a physical illness, And also a weariness of the soul is a kind of weakness that makes us incapable of praying. And I think that should be the first clue when we should call for the elders. Are you prayerless? Do you lack the capacity even to pray? It could be that you're facing a great mortal illness and you have great faith and you're praying and your, your convictions are strong. It could be that you're going through seasons of weariness and discouragement, but your faith is strong. You're, you're praying to the Lord. As, as James said in verse 13, you're suffering and distress, but you're, you're praying. But if you're not able to pray, you need to call for help. You need to be raised up. You need to have life breathed into you. You need to know something of the mercy and tenderness of God that raises up people that are so weak. That they're even unable to pray. And that is something that the text seems to indicate is uh, an incapacity, as James describes, the, to not even to pray, but he says, call, call to the elders, and he says that they will, they will come to you. Notice that the elders aren't at home, uh, and the Lord tells them who is sick, that the sick person calls for the elders and they come. To them they don 't go to the elders the elders come to them which seems to indicate again their weakness and their incapacity and they pray over him like Elijah played played uh, prayed over also the weak and sick and dead child there seems to be something of an incapacity that is indicated by James where there there needs to be a raising up the Second thing that seems to be very, very intentional, very clear about the instructions that James gives to the weak or to the ill is that there is a very deliberate and intentional intermingling, not an ambiguity, but an intermingling, an overlap of the material and the physical circumstances of the body, which would be like an illness or a, a sickness. But there's an overlap, there's an intermingling clearly where, where James speaks in one breath of those who are needing to be raised up, those who are ill, who, those who are sick, but also those who are needing to have their sins forgiven. And there's an intermingling, there's an overlap of the physical circumstances of the body, such as an illness, and our, our spiritual need to be cleansed and forgiven. God is physician of both the body and and the soul we need God's help not only physically when we are ill we need God's help also and sometimes even especially in times of physical illness there can be a kind of spiritual discouragement where we also need to be raised up in a profound way and those of you that are are, uh, uh, practitioners of medicine of doctors and nurses I'm sure that you see this all of the time you're dealing with people in their medical condition and their physical illness and they need to be raised up. But you can also see that in that same person, there's a, there's a weariness, there's a, there's a need of the soul as well. And God is physician of both the body and the soul. The psalmist makes clear this intermingling when he says this, that when he, when he cries out to God to be gracious to me for i am languishing heal me my bones are troubled my soul also is greatly troubled that's from psalm 6 in God's dealings physical sickness cannot be extracted it can't be extracted and treated independent of the need of our soul sin and sickness cannot ultimately be separated not because there is always a particular sin that is afflicting us and making us sick although that can happen God told Pharaoh when he was with Abraham's wife Sarah that that you're sick because of your sin they removed the sin opportunity and and he was restored and it could be that an appropriate question for the elders to ask you when they pray with you that has the Lord spoken to you of a particular kind of sin of which you need to be healed. But we cannot extract these two things one from the other because sickness comes into this world ultimately by sin. It was because of sin that sickness and death come into the world. Genesis chapter 2. In the day that you eat of it, thou shalt surely die. See, sin has a 100% fatality rate. It is because of sin that there is sickness in the world. And so the Christian mind, the Christian soul, cannot ultimately consider these two things as independent of one another. One reminds us of the other. Jesus clearly instructed us on this when he spoke to the paralytic that was brought to him in Mark chapter 2, a man who had a physical disability and was brought to the Lord to be touched and to be healed. And Jesus looked at him and, and he said, your sins are forgiven. And then he healed him physically. So he stood up and, and took his mat and he, and he walked home. But he, before he did that, he said this, that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. Stand up and walk. Ultimately, those two things go together. See, it's it's sick people who know that they need a physician. It's sick people who call upon the Lord and say, "Lord, heal me." And sometimes, when we are are faced with mortal situations in our physical body, it's like we get new glasses. It's like everything else falls away. Every everything that is trivial, everything that is has been so much a focus in our life all of a sudden those things become insignificant and they and they fall away I often hear people say who are in conditions of 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 facing their mortality So you know I'm reading my Bible and you, you wouldn't believe the things that the Lord has led me to to read or such encouragement and I think what's happened is that their Bible hasn't changed but they've changed They've got new ears to hear. They've got new eyes to see the things of God precisely because of their physical condition. And so it was, it was sick people who would stand beside the road and call about to Jesus, 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 help me, heal me. It wasn't healthy people that would stand beside the road and say, Jesus, I am healthy God is the physician of the body and the soul. I found these words helpful and instructive in trying to make a a way of understanding different season in which which God moves in different ways. And this is from a commentator that I'll quote. If God will it so, the, the restoration or the raising up May indeed be physical. However, it may be that God's purpose in ordaining sickness is to get the sick person's attention in order to accomplish a more important work in his or her life. The psalmist instructs us in a similar way in Psalm 119 when, it's when he says that, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. I've lived long enough to experience two approaches to this particular text, and I think that there are dangers of the soul that I've seen in both of them. One of them is approaching the text and using it as a a guarantee, using it as a technique for a particular kind of outcome, guaranteeing with 100% expectation of a physical miracle, of physical healing. And the danger, of course, I don't think I even need to point this out. The danger of the soul is that, is that it doesn't work. It simply doesn't work. And it can lead to a, a tremendous amount of guilt. It can lead to a tremendous weight of condemnation. And more than that, it can lead to a discouragement and a frustration in a person's faith when they realize that, that it, it doesn't work. And I don't know about you, but I have to have a faith that works. I have to have a religion that works. If it didn't work, I would throw it away. It's like some people have a faith that they continue on in it, but there's this underlying feeling or, or acknowledgement that, that somehow it's broken. Ever put money in a vending machine and, and it doesn't give you what you want? There are people approach the text like this. I've put in the right amount of faith and I'm not getting out the product that I want. And they're kicking the vending machine, spiritually speaking. They're frustrated and you might be able to live with it, but it's, it's particularly dangerous for children to witness, to witness a faith that from their eyes, it seems to, to, to not work. Sometimes we blame the university professors for taking away the faith of our children, but sometimes they may come to college and university with a predisposition to give up something that they've already convinced doesn't work. C.S. Lewis in his book, Uh, autobiography of his faith, uh, Surprised by Joy, which I read recently, describes as a young child who had made a a nominal profession of faith being reared in a nominally Christian home, was taught under the uh, instruction of a devout atheist. And he describes how glad he was to be able to discard something that he really didn't want to have in the first place. See, you might be able to nurse a tool that is special to you, that has sentimental value to you, and keep using it, but but don't try to give that to somebody else. It's broken, they'll throw it away. And so there's a danger for the soul there. There's a a strength there of, of an expectation of something great, something mighty from God that should be there. The second danger of the soul, though, is where people come with zero expectation. They come with absolutely No expectation for God to intervene in a a miraculous, in a powerful, in a wonderful way. And they miss out. They miss out on, on the opportunity to see God surprise us, to see him startle us, to see him encourage not only a person, but an entire body with his intervention into the life of a person. Who's called upon them, or being called on on behalf of that person, and God has raised them up? It's a tremendous thing for the body of Christ to witness and to experience together. The other thing that James makes very clear is the role of eldership. There is a role for elders here, and there is something for the elders to be certain of. It says that they have a prayer of faith. How should the elders pray? It makes very plain, doesn't it, that the we can see why the apostle Paul says in Timothy that those who desire the office of an overseer desire a noble task. This really is a noble task for those that are called by God in the midst of a congregation to come alongside those who are either physically or spiritually too weak to pray. You can also see why Paul warns against those who are young believers not to be called as elders to have the danger in a body, to have people called into situations like this who, who, who are too young, sometimes too arrogant, too conceited, thinking that they know everything that there is to know about melancholy, thinking that they know everything there is to know about the seasons of life and never face their own mortality. It is for seasoned people who know something of the seasons of life for sure. And don't underestimate the effect that the opportunity to pray for people has upon the eldership. It affects us. And just so you know, yes, we do pray for people in this way. We anoint with oil. There's nothing special about the oil. And it's not the elders who raise people up. And it's not the elders who forgive sins. It's God who does all of those things. But yes, we do pray for people. We have a number of elders who, I hope you know them, I hope you know who they are, who are governing and leading elders. We also have a number of elders who are what we call elder emeritus, who are not governing elders, but they are still committed to this ministry of prayer. And will pray for anybody who calls upon them to ask. But it affects us as well. And I hope that we wouldn't have a church that is governed and led by leaders who have never prayed for the sick who've never been in the room with people who are looking to be raised up by God. It is a profound impact where we vicariously see something of the need of God's people and something of the power of God's people. Many of you have been there. I've been there myself to feel so incredibly weak that you're absolutely and entirely dependent upon somebody else to carry you that is the spiritual miracle that people are looking for in god here and god is merciful god is powerful to raise people up but there is also something for the elders to be certain of here and the certainty is this the certainty is that god is merciful the certainty is that god saves james uses the same word for Salvation and and raising up is the same word for the resurrection. He saves and he he raises up. And we need that in our lives over and over again. He will raise up the prayerless to pray again. He will raise up the sinner from their sin. Do not despise those or consider them to be lesser mercies. What a great paradox it would be. What a tragic irony it would be. For us to experience a physical healing and not the spiritual healing that keeps us out of eternal punishment. But yes, there is also the belief and the certainty that God can raise up if he chooses those who are physically sick. And he will raise us up, each one of us, finally. All of those who are in Christ Jesus to eternal life through the resurrection of the dead. In other words, even if... You were to die in the arms of an elder we would say the lord will raise him up and we have that wonderful hope to look forward to a wonderful certainty these are words that are often sung together by god's people from an old hymn called god our help in ages past oh god our help in ages past our hope for years to come be thou our guard while life shall last and our eternal home. Under the shadow of thy throne, thy saints have dwelt secure, sufficient in thine arm alone, and our defense is sure. Would you please pray with me? God Almighty, help us to know your sufficiency in all the seasons of life. Help us to call upon you. Help us to sing. Help us to function as a body to help the weak, To help the sick. That we would not live autonomously. That we would not try to live independently of one another. But humbly confess that there are times. When we are keenly and desperately aware. That we need help. And thank you for the body. Lord thank you for your wisdom. That there is a body with a living head. Who is been raised up. Who has been saved from death. In order that we also would possess that same hope. So, Lord, give us what we need most. Help us to live. Help us to know your power in our lives and to explore and know every, every room in your house, to know your face from every angle, to experience its sufficiency in all times, I pray. For your glory, we pray it. In Jesus' name, amen.